You're listening to The Big Data Beard. Hey folks, this is Corey Minton from the Big Data Beard team. We are at Strata Data Conference in San Jose, California. I'm joined by my uh, almost bearded brother. He hasn't shaved in a few days. He's looking a little scruffy. Rob Hout, welcome to the show. We've also got two special guests today from Dell EMC. Uh, these guys are actually what we refer to in the industry as unicorns because they're data scientists. So we're, uh, we're super excited we were able to capture you and spend some time talking. Um, we attended your session this morning, and we're going to talk about that today. So, so thanks for being on. We've got Mauro Damo from uh, Dell EMC's data science and consulting team, as well as Wei Lin, chief data scientist for Dell EMC. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Glad to be here. I'm glad to be here, too, but thank you. Excellent. Thank you. So, Wei, tell me a little bit about what you do for Dell EMC. Yes. Uh, my name is Wei Lin. I'm chief data scientist with uh, Dell EMC Consulting. Uh, our work is uh, client-facing, so we devise a solution, uh, include the uh, governance strategy, data science, and data engineering for the customer, and uh, take them uh, through what we call the big data maturity curve, from the business inside all the way to the transformation. Excellent. So that's uh, similar to something... Bill Schmarzo. Uh, he's my good friend. Okay, excellent. Yes. <laughs> so he's an alumni of the show. We always like uh, catching up with folks who, who use those models. So, Mauro, what do you do for Dell EMC? So I work with, uh, in the Weilin data science team. So I'm working to provide uh, service to, the, to our customers. So we, uh, we are uh, providing this kind of solutions for a lot of different types of industry, banking, finance, retail, and these kind of uh, customers, we provide them like a, the, the most advanced analytics and knowledge about uh, uh, deep learning, machine learning, and uh, and this kind of thing. So, excellent. Well, it's interesting because you know most folks when they think of Dell EMC, they think you know hardware company, right? They got some interesting technologies a lot as the companies have come together. There's a there's a lot that they offer, but services specifically around data science, I think, may surprise some folks. So one of the things that you guys were doing here that we saw earlier was you got selected to present uh, a use case that I thought was super interesting. It was around uh, how do you identify um, and maybe catch bladder cancer. Tell us a little bit about what you were, what, 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 this, what this talk was all about and, and how, it, how it came to be. So what's happening is that we have a, some uh, of data set that's open, it's a public data set that came from uh, uh, some universities. And on this data set, we have the, the image from patients that has, has or had cancer. Uh, and also, so this, uh, they used the idea of the use case uh, began, began in 2016, and then we we realized that we can do something better for try to create a prediction model that can classify a specific type of cancers and and bladder, and then and for that without uh, any kind of uh, human intervention. So this is the the way. Maybe we can apply this on on the probably of course of course medical domain, but we can try to apply this on devices or embed this kind of uh, algorithm inside of. Uh, uh, MRI machines that can provide you automatically what is the classic of the type of the, the cancer that specific patient uh, has. So what? So when you say public images, like what sort of pictures are we looking at here? Because you're using what you're saying is you're using uh, some sort of machine learning algorithm you've developed to basically look at a picture without human inter intervention. I think you said, and that it's classifying. Help me understand. Like what? Like where do you get these pictures? I know you said it was open data set, but let's unpack that a little bit. Like what does that mean? Where do they come from? So this is from, uh, there is uh, some hospitals in, one in Brazil, I think so, it's some, one or two in the United States, 
that they provide this image. They open open source this uh, this uh, uh, image, and uh, they open source to the diagnosis of these uh, of these physicians. So we have the PII. So we we, we don't, don't know who is the patient. So so it's something that is confidential. But we they provide this to do open source data to try to get the community and try to do some analytics over that. Excellent. So it's an open data source. So, but you said it doesn't have any of the patient identifiable information. So, no, no GDP, GDPR concerns. That's good. Um, but so this came out. It sounded like it's like you did this as like a art of the possible. Like it wasn't. Was this a customer driven thing where you had a customer that was trying to do this and you helped them, or was this more of like we wanted to show an idea of what we could do? Yeah, it's it started with an idea that we like to show that we have these capabilities and skills to do that thing, but. It's 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 go further. It's like a spread to other customers, so other customers like to have interesting about it. So this is the start in general. We when we this have after we had this use case, we began to start some conversations with customers about this this thing. Yeah, this particular idea also coming in as a best paper of last year. So we once we actually perfect this idea. And we start offer this to our customer. So the concept is、uh, they are not only for bladder cancer; it's、uh, for all MRI related. So they can be identified as long as they have labeled information、mm -hmm. about the content itself. Then we can use、uh, the big data as training.、Yeah. So the scale is uh, basically uh, transcend from the statistical machine learning and all the way to the artificial intelligence, and hopefully、uh, combine all these three. Provide we call the actionable information, which facilitate and sustain the non-even distribution of doctors. So in the major city, doctor concentration is really high. You have specialists they can diagnose this number four in terms of the cancer. But for all the other urban area, those is something they can be help as a supporting system. Yeah, so the the the, the formula you kind of developed. So I don't want to use the word model because that implies something else. But the the system that you kind of developed, then it will be、uh, it's kind of easily trainable to do other other kinds of medical research or or medical identification, image identification of different kinds of cancer or other things even. I got. Yeah, yeah sh sure. We we can、uh, we can we can if we thinking about about a、uh, um, uh, a vector. So we can one vector that's different types of organs. So we can try to. To to have different types of、uh, models that predict different type of cancer and different type of organs. Another thing that we can think about it's just because we we use it one specific plane of the MRI image, so we we can、uh, use other type of planes. So so what is the planes? So like in the, in the presentation we talk about、uh, coronal planes and、uh, transverse planes. So we can use different types of planes. We have three, so we have we can. For example, we can have one specific breast breast cancer. We can have three planes, so three models that together run together. We train together these models, and then we build a assemble model that put all these three together. And uh, we can uh, try uh, other types of、um, pre-trained architectures or other types of architectures to improve the accuracy of the models. So this kind of thing we, it's possible to do. Yeah. So、uh, consider this. This is、uh, image recognition, and、uh, so that、uh, the application is really、uh, broad. So you can use、uh, seismic data that will be for all your gas industry. Basically, they are gigantic、uh, MRI machine to take those picture. So the second one is、uh, you can transform that、uh, we call that、uh, time series data, vibration data into two D spectrum. 
then it's become an image. From there, you can label it. And really? Training. That's kind of cool. The, the other thing I thought about when you were talking about the, um, the I, I don't remember the three, the sagittal, the coronal, and the transverse. transverse. So you could ostensibly be creating 3D versions of the model. Or 3D images of the organ that you could then run a model. Can you run a model in 3D? Is that even possible? Yeah, we can. We can run one in 3D. For example, we have uh, some of uh, image recognitions for uh, when you talk about uh, color images. So it's RGB. So each each of these uh, uh, red, green, and blue. So each of these colors are one one matrix inside of the tensor. So it's possible to do a 3D 3D image. One thing that I would like to to add is that. We are using just MRI image, but we have a PET scan. We have uh, different other types of uh, devices that we can uh, build different models and then and then uh, uh, put all the skin together, and this is going to work um, very well. So tell me the name of the model, because I, I think I read it as a multi, is it multinomial convolutional neural network? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a convolutional neural network. Mm -hmm. It's a technique, and, and the convolutional network is a multinomial network. Uh, uh, Multinomial Lucius regression. So, the, then the correct name is convolutional neural network. Okay, excellent. Now, when you when you started thinking about, because I view this very, it's a very cool art of the possible. Like it's almost like you've built a prototype car kind of thing, where you're like showing like, hey, Mr. Customer, you could do this, and this is a way to leverage your team. Um, one thing I noticed that you put up there was you started talking about architecture a little bit, and about that you showed some hardware that. It looked like, did you guys run this on like a desktop computer with a GPU in it, or did you run it in a data center? Like, how big was this project, and how, how large scale did you go with it? So, we, we, we worked with the, in, the, in one machine, one server, Dell server. It's, it's, a, a, uh, it's a eight cores and 384 gigabytes, gigabytes of storage. And we run into, attached to two GPUs, agreed with two GPUs. Okay. And uh, but it's it's scalable. We can because we use TensorFlow, so TensorFlow we can build like a uh, we can train model in distributed way. Mm -hmm. So we can like have a cluster of thousand of, of these uh, machines and then train a model. Of course, if you have data and all these kind of things, or you can try to do a, a risky approach that you can run different models with different configurations, simulation your hyperparameters, and then you can, you, you, then you're gonna need the computer power cycles and this kind of thing that you're gonna need. Right, so uh, one thing uh, that uh, in our mind is uh, you need to have a minimum viable product. These things uh, you can deploy it in the city, in the large hospital. You can also deploy it in a, a more uh, like urban uh, setting that uh, which is uh, uh, maybe is a family physician actually take care of the whole village. In that setting, this type of machine does not take a lot of effort to install and config. Of course, you need to have uh, so-called the connectivity that you have uh, with a large infrastructure that uh, can connect to the hospital center that can support it. But for that particular one, that you can start from that simple configuration and grow from it. Even some of the customers, when they would like to perform the POC, they were not uh, willing to uh, perform large uh, pipe of, uh, because the cost of ownership might be uh, down the road. So the evaluation is, uh, this is bare minimum, this is a minimum viable product. With this, you can standing up and grow further. That's very cool. That's one of the things that, one of the things I think that, that maybe is a bit misunderstood in the, the concept of like when a data scientist helps develop a model. When you talk about deployment at the edge, my mind goes to 
if from a hardware perspective and architecture, if if the model is being trained in a in a data center where there's you know resources where that's not, or it's, are you let's say you have a large scale TensorFlow environment or or whatever your chosen platform is, you do your training there where you have what is large amounts of storage and compute resources that can do you do your work to come up with the model. But is the model for deployment is it lighter weight at the edge? Meaning, you know, if in your case where you talk about going to a rural environment where let's say they have a specific you know, thing, the type of machine or whatever image class that they're trying to use to identify some specific thing. Do you even need all that hardware? Doesn't the model, is the model capable of running on a, a, running in a much lighter weight way than it needs to run in a training set? Yeah, I think this is a good question. Uh, basically, uh, we actually promote the cooperation. That's uh, the whole global deployment uh, concept coming in, use uh, VMware at the layer, as well as uh, the WWH, which is worldwide heard. Then within that, have uh, we call analytics fabric. Analytics fabric can talk to, we call the meta layer of the fabric, and then beneath that is called data zone. Data zone have two things, data and processing power. So within that, you can share the content. For example, this uh, particular hospital uh, have a bladder cancer. You can actually train the model and move the model because of the weight and as well as the data configuration uh, for the network is totally PI, PHI independent. You cannot uh, translate that to which customer. You can move the model. You are not moving the data. So that's number one. The second one is uh, the knowledge can be do two things. One is we call the, the learning transfer. So you train the common model. This common model may be recognized uh, a set of the cancer. But this area, for example, in the Long Island before, the breast, uh, breast cancer is uh, one of the highly concentrated uh, area. Then they can attach the second network into it, training breast cancer specifically for that. So now that you have a large network and the large computing power can do, we call that a general data set, mm -hmm. and then they train that. And the smaller one, they can attach that as a general concept with a smaller specific data set that they have and train through it. So uh, it is um, it is a, a very versatile model in terms of this way. That's interesting. So you brought up something called Worldwide Herd, which I think we've m maybe heard of before. I want to tell me a little bit more about Worldwide Herd, where that came from, just at a high level. Right. Uh, Worldwide Herd actually is a pioneer by Patricia. Uh, she is uh, the one that actually uh, constructed the concept where actually uh, applied to a current uh, GDPR situation. Most uh, simple example, if I want to calculate uh, breast cancer worldwide distribution, how can I do it? Right now, the French uh, and uh, German, British, North America, South America, all these zones, you cannot move the data out. So in a way, that you need to break the algorithm into center and the distribute part. So what I will be uh, is a use that we call the meta layer that actually standardize the categories. So you don't send me your all the information. You send me the categories and the count of the categories. Now that I aggregate it and do the distribution, now that I know the breadth of cancer over the world. So that's the, the content of it. So it allows you to basically use, in some case, in some way, have multiple Hadoop environments, some sort of large-scale processing environments, but having communication between them pulling out a small number of key value pairs like like you said counts right yeah 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 more or less because we we're not able to to retrieve the data from the data centers and and put on centralized repository so yeah. so what we are doing is redesigning all the algorithms analytical algorithms that can 
do the following. You can like uh, send a, uh, if you imagine that is an executors in each of these data centers, then we have a, like a central or master that we're going to push like a, a, uh, push like a uh, algorithm that they are in the in the on the edge. They need to uh, processing and do all the statistics and send back to the to the central uh, the statistics already summarize it. So, uh, for example, if you think about uh, a mean or average or these kind of st basic statistics, you need to do uh, this kind of process to back and forth in between the edge and uh, centralize it to not to uh, <clears throat> sorry to not to uh, 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 have problems with the PII and, mm -hmm. and GPDR. Yeah, it's almost like, you know, if I think about the map reduce process, right, you have this map and you, you kind of spread it out amongst the workers. It's almost like you've gone a layer up and said, we can map reduce across many map reduce capabilities. That, is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, without move the data. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, exactly. you're just, you're, you're, yeah. you're bringing back yeah, yeah, some yeah. amount of a summation or some calculation. That's very interesting. So you did mention VMware in there. What's VMware's uh, contribution here? Like, help. Because when most people think VMware, they just think vSphere or, you know, kind of those operations. What is VMware's contribution in this context? Uh, virtual computing node. So uh, basically uh, across all the different data zones, they've built up this called analytics fabric. This fabric, they can uh, have, uh, we call it almost like yellow page. You know where is the resource. So basically uh, in this particular sense, uh, we build something called... Uh, 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 medical analytics factory. Medical analytics factory can use uh, this particular layer the VMware provide to talk to not only the metadata but also the dev test product. These are three different centers. So now that you can use the resource in the dispersed format. For example, you have cohesion, the analytics factory, but the tester that the testing this data set is belong to that zone. So there is no GDPR concern because this person is physically there, but uh, use VMware so we can have a cohesion processing. Okay, that uh, helps with orchestration. Yeah, so you actually said something there that I, I thought was interesting during your presentation earlier. So the, the analytics factory, could you talk about that a little bit? Because the, at least the picture that I saw and the, the words that were going along with it was a really cool concept. And so could, could you describe that a little bit more? Sure. Uh, and that is factory was, uh, this is a 2.0 specific uh, for medical analytics factory. The design is uh, use a uh, concept of superscalar. Uh, basically, is uh, if you form in the superscalar pipeline, you fill up the pipeline, you can cut down the, the throughput, uh, cut down the, the latency so much. So uh, with that, the we building stage is uh, with uh, we call analytics lead and deployment lead, and also the process miner. That and the three we call the outbound connectors, and within the core is uh, business analysts and IT and also we call data scientists, and then the tester as a core portion. So they can take, the, for example, the medical part, there's quite a lot of use case, and need to be done yesterday. So, so for example, ER prediction, and how do I do the physician nurse scheduling? How do I do the medical restocking? How do I admit the patient? What is OR room efficiency? So all these, we call that the EPIC and the sensor, uh, sonar, uh, type of uh, uh, medical uh, uh, software already capture a lot. But we build in this throughput is because of the congestion of analytics case was backlogged so long. They lost, we call that the actionable window. So with this, then uh, we know the how much uh, resource you need and how much time you could expect the outcome of it. 
also the testing quality across the globe if you require one. Um, so um, the concept itself is a, is a, actually is a from factory point of view. Okay. Excellent. That's cool. very cool. So, what's next with this? So, you guys, you, you talked about, you know, you've got this this interesting model. You've across developed. You're perfecting it, right? You're getting better. You've got some technology underpinning that, that that that's pretty interesting, right? That can allow this model to be deployed in interesting ways across, you know, borders. That's all very cool. Um, what's next? Like, what are you guys going to do next when you when you leave here and you and you take what you, you know, what you've presented, or maybe you're already working on it, but like, what what are you guys going to do next in terms of art of the possible or in like actual practical implementation? Yeah, there is, uh, that's a great question. I think uh, this lead to uh, something called a uh, product bundle that uh, they'll have, uh, they'll even have this in mind. Uh, so uh, later, uh, tomorrow, you can describe some of the work in progress, but basically scale out. Then uh, not only we can do within one, we already prove you have a minimum viable product, you can do it. Now, if we scale out, what kind of throughput that you can have? Yeah, absolutely. So about the right bundle, we are we're working with the Haj and the Siddharth and, and Wei and the, the all the folks on the Dell. So a lot of people. Sorry if I don't not mention everybody here. Oh yeah, no, it's <laughs> but but we are we are what we are doing is uh, we are the first uh, results of the project is uh, we 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 pick up a trained model from ResNet. ResNet one of the one of the uh, most famous uh, architecture in neural network architecture. That's a convolutional network. That, uh, for example, have an image, and uh, what what it does is uh, recognize all the objects inside of the image, and we attach this uh, uh, in this in this uh, convolutional network, convolutional network uh, LSTM neural network uh, that uh, transform the image, giving the context what the action inside of the image. So, for example, if we imagine that we have a a uh, boy and a dad playing playing soccer. If you have a list of ResNet running and and, and classifying the, this image, you're gonna see just a boy and bo- a boy, a ball, and and, uh, and and the dad. So in this case, we're gonna create captions. We're gonna create uh, the contest. So we're gonna say, okay, the dad playing soccer with the the boy. Yep. So just using the image, and uh, of course we are using MS Coco. It's one of data sets from Microsoft. And uh, so we are able to run this on uh, 300 machines inside of our lab. It took uh, 50 minutes to run and uh, 81,000 images. So we classified this 81,000 images in 50 minutes running on 300 uh, machines. You use a TensorFlow mm-hmm. and uh, use container too. We have a singularity is one container. So, so we, sp- we, we start the job spreading this uh, container and TensorFlow in all of 300 uh, <laughs> servers, and then we got this 15 minutes. So it's a very good approach because we, we haven't used GPUs in this case, just CPUs, because uh, it's uh, something that we like to uh, to, sh- to show that we can be uh, uh, fast enough to support like uh, all these kind of uh, deep learning uh, uh, techniques in the yeah. CPU environment. Yeah, so CPU and GPU, there's obviously a race going on there because machine learning, you know, NVIDIA is clearly doing some great things in the GPU space. Clearly, Intel's, you know, led in the space. AMD's certainly making some progress. Um, it's interesting that you talk about hardware. Uh, have you guys played around with any of the, like, the Google TPUs, like the Tensor-specific processing units yet? 
Not yet. Unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that'll be interesting to see what happens. One thing I took away too from a again to be the hardware geek in the room. The uh, the thing that you guys called out in the in the uh, presentation about scale and about performance design was you talked about the importance of memory, which surprised me. I guess I don't I don't guess I thought that memory would be the thing. I thought GPU processing would be the capability. How how did memory impact your processing throughput? Yeah. So in, in our case, that we have a. We are in our network have thousands of uh, different parameters to to update. So, so for us, for me, in in our case, it's better to have more random cycles because even if you have to take weeks or hour, not weeks but hours a day, at least the the, the model gonna run. Yeah. Or you're gonna contrain the model. Mm-hmm. If you don't have RAM memory in your case, just have the the the, the training phase is uh, you give you a lot of memory error and so you can can train the model. You have a lot of problems. Have to reduce the framework. Have to use this, the layers, so it's a painful. Yeah. So, so it's something that way. Like I like to do, for example, rerun this all this uh, this algorithm without uh, to shrink the image, mm-hmm. just not to use the, the raw data, really raw data. Yeah. So without to shrink, because when you shrink, you lose uh, information. So it's something that is going to be good to try to run it is on a bigger cluster. Yeah. So it's not. It's, so it's not just the number of machines in the cluster, but actually the memory density. Per machine has an important feature, which is good. That's that's good to know because I think a lot of folks, when they've thought about general kind of big data workloads, they've kind of thought, well, you need fast CPU and reasonably fast disk and memory is okay, but it's not like the big long pole in the tent. And it, I totally see that shifting, especially as you start to look at things like video and audio or video and, and picture sort of uh, as your source. That becomes uh, very interesting. So you're working on ready bundles for machine learning. You're, you're going to kind of come up with those next. Are you like? Are you working directly with customers on on projects that are interesting that you can abstract and tell us about? Uh, that's a okay. Yes, uh, we do. Uh, for example, uh, it's also is healthcare. Uh, basically, in addition to the image portion, we also deal with uh, we call time series data. Uh, EEG, KG. Then when do you predict the seizure? When do you predict the heart attack? For example, those is a specific that actually connect to the we call that uh, uh, edge sensor data that actually have very very similar flavor. In a way that we are biological uh, entity, which our sensor data is analog, where the other might be a discrete digital, based on the sample rate. Uh, so those is uh, interesting um, work. Certainly, uh, there are some. Um, uh, um, some work that we cannot disclose, but uh, the work is related to uh, how do we do the predictive maintenance on the uh, airplane, for example, and uh, how do you uh, predict what is the performance on certain different altitude, different uh, velocity. Those is something we call the rare event uh, detection. Uh, those is uh, fairly interesting when you have a vibration data. And uh, those things uh, can be recognized easily when you have a uh, deep learning. Very cool. And we we have a uh, we have a work, working with partners, so it's a healthcare company, it's a research center, and we use a uh, work with them for a lot of Spark. We we play a, a advisory role inside of the partners to provide them like uh, some uh, what kind of uh, how to optimize their code or how to how to help them in this uh, this kind of this kind of uh, architecture, Spark architecture. And after that, we we are we are already working in the in our new paper, in the knowledge share. Right. So it's about EEG, so electrical encephalogram, and uh, we are trying to creating we create all this uh, all this information inside of all these EEG files 
I think it's 13,000 patients, and uh, it's more or less something 200 gigabytes of storage memory. These are really, really, really big. And uh, we run this over Spark, and we use the big DL has a deep learning framework. So we are trying to, we did a, a prediction model of using, try to predict seizures mm -hmm. uh, for patients using the EEG. Yeah. Right. There is uh, the other one is also fairly interesting is uh, airport. Uh, we also uh, use uh, airport a different uh, sensor, uh, particularly video portion, and identify the event and then translate the uh, use the convolution neural net and translate the event into uh, we call that uh, actionable, which is uh, use uh, LSTM, which is uh, translate the content itself. But LSTM was trained on the uh, airport emergency menu so that they can translate the event and then to uh, execute as a complex event analysis. Oh, very cool. So automating the response to what could be critical events. That's right. So you talked about you're working on your next paper, um, and it sounds like you some of this stuff has come from competitions where you've won. Are you are you guys competitive data scientists? Are you guys doing things like Kaggle and, and competing in those sort of things, or is this a different competition framework? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it is a Dell EMC uh, a large share in the competition. It's uh, once a year. Uh, that's our major one uh, because of the, there is a persistent tracking of our paper. We can refer to that as white paper. Uh, the past two years, uh, we have uh, two papers. Uh, actually, uh, is a best paper of uh, big data. One is a knowledge uh, for the customer term model. How do you predict them? Use what we call the IFM model, recency frequency and monetary model across a different spectrum. The other is uh, the uh, prototype of uh, bladder cancer uh, okay. detection. Excellent. So, how do how do folks that are you know are are there customers that are people out in the industry? How do they engage you? Like, how does how does somebody get your team and, and your folks involved to help them solve you know these problems that you guys are kind of you've 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 done some of this cool art of the possible, but how do they actually get you to come help them? Like, what's that engagement look like? That's a good question. Um, generally, uh, engagement is uh, going through we call the uh, sales channel, and then uh, sales channel will reach out to us. Right now, actually, uh, we step into the sales uh, channel and also facilitate the pre-sale activity. So uh, as long as the customer uh, have need, they reach out to any of us or any of our sales channel, we will be uh, willing to uh, uh, talk to them and share the concept and identify the root cause and then execute the plan. Nice. Well, that's interesting because, you know, again, I think a lot of folks, when they think of Dell EMC, they don't immediately think, Wow, these guys are could help me with data science problems I'm trying to solve. So that's good to know, uh, especially as you know these digital transformation objectives are at the top of the mind for so many folks. So thank you guys for being on. I want to shift gears here for a second. We want to get a little personal. You've you've told us about what you do, what value you're bringing to customers, and uh, and the interesting work that you're working on. Which can't wait to see what the next paper is all about. Um, so this is called our rapid fire session. We've learned a lot from our guests about big data, but now it's time to get a bit personal. In a segment we like to call Rapid Fire. Pew, pew. What year do you think Skynet will go online? 2050. 2050. All right. What about you, tomorrow? 2016. All right. So you guys are thinking it's further out, which actually makes me feel better because I does. feel like yeah, they would a lot better, yeah. yeah. And a lot of people are like, it's already online. So I'm thankful that you guys are thinking that. That's good. Amaro, um, for you, what's the last uh, good book you read? Tipping point. Tipping Malcolm point. Godoy. Yeah, big fan of Malcolm. Okay, what about you, Wei? Actually, it's a paper. Um, it's an outcast of a poker poker frog. Um, 
it was uh, telling about uh, how people can remind themselves when they can. How does they remind people to do the best? Okay. It, it is a very small article, but have impact. Really powerful. Okay, cool. Uh, what genre of music are you currently listening to? Metal. Metal? Oh, no. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Awesome, all right. Iron mating. Oh, man. These data scientists go hard. Wait, what about you? Any any technology that's making your life worse? Uh, actually, it's a watch related. It's a digital clock that uh, actually can broadcast and tell it's... But uh, the Google Home just take over the whole night out of it. <laughs> Google Home, I got it. Okay. Uh, what is your biggest personal money pit right now? What are you spending all your money on? Uh, my youngest son, uh, he have autism. Oh, okay. That's a, that's definitely can be expensive. understand that. What about you? And my kids and my, my wife and my family. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> they Those drain are, all my money. That's good things <laughs> to spend money on. You could you could be doing really bad things. So you listen to hard rock and you do nice things. That's good. Um, are you going anywhere interesting soon? I'm planning to go to Europe. Okay. Portugal. Portugal. Ooh, nice. Very cool. How about you? Anywhere cool? Uh, I intend to uh, take my son to Japan. He's a big fan of uh, Japan. So uh, we have a mileage due to the travel. Yeah. So uh, he would like to see that. The architecture. He would like to uh, learn the Japanese, and he would like to uh, uh, engage you with uh, Japanese uh, animation. Oh yeah, very cool. I was in Japan a few months ago, and it took my kids with me, and it was an incredible experience. What a beautiful country. Okay, uh, what show are you currently binging on? I did not watch TV often. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a good answer. That's a good, that's answer. A, that's a good answer. What about you, Mara? Anything? Uh, I like to see the talk shows, you know? Yeah? Yeah, like uh, Jimmy Kimmel and okay. this kind of thing. I Late night shows. Very cool. Well, guys, thank you so much for being on. It's uh, it's interesting, as I said, to hear from from folks that are Dell EMC guys that aren't hardware sellers that are uh, doing interesting things to solve interesting data science problems for our customers. So thank you so much for being on, and I hope you enjoy the rest of Strata Conference. Thank you. So, Cheers. Thank you so much. Hey folks, Brett Roberts here, and I hope that you enjoyed the podcast. On behalf of the Big Data Beater team, I just want to say thank you for listening, and in return, offer you something pretty awesome. Strata Data London is less than two months away, and we are giving one lucky listener a free pass to this amazing event. To enter, all you have to do is either join our mailing list, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or just review one of our podcasts. Each time you do one of these, you are entered to win. We will be announcing the winner on April 24th. For more information, check out www.bigdatabeard.com. And as always, you can use promo code PCBEARD for any O'Reilly, Strata Data, or AI Conference Pass and receive 20% off. Good luck, and thank you for listening.